Good morning. morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. The Alpha class begins this Tuesday evening, 6 p.m. in the West Wing. Uh, Please come and bring a friend with you. Searching Scripture, which is the study of the small catechism, begins the following Tuesday, Tuesday of next week. Again, 6 p.m., beginning with the meal, then we go into the class afterward. We're following setting three of the divine service today. We begin our worship on page three of the bulletin. Please stand for the invocation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, with which I have ever offended you, and justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them, and I pray you of your boundless mercy and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor sinful being. Upon this, your confession. I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
God on high. baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River, you proclaimed him your beloved son and anointed him with the Holy Spirit. Make all who are baptized in his name faithful in their calling as your children and inheritors with him of everlasting life. Through the same Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. So, I've got a few things in a bag. I want to show them to you. Yeah, this is an expensive hat, too. It's a Tilly hat. I didn't know that until I bought it and paid a pretty penny for it. But uh, anyway, there's a hat. It's a good hiking hat. Keeps the sun off. You know what that is? A mitt. Yeah, it's a baseball glove or a baseball mitt. You know what that is? It's a hymnal or a service book and hymnal, right? Yeah. And uh, all of these things, this book, by the way, our worship services every Sunday come out of this book, in case you didn't know, we copy them out of the book. 
Makes it a little easier when it's printed out for you in a bulletin. That's why we do that. But this book and this glove and this hat have something in common. You know what? They win. They, they help us. We, we learn new stuff. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good idea. Yeah. It says inside of the book, Armstrong family. It says on the baseball glove, somewhere. Oh, yeah, it says Armstrong on the glove. And it says that in the hat as well. Now, let me ask you this. Why would you write your name on something? Have you ever done that? You've written your name on something? Why would you do that? So you don't lose it. Yeah, or if you do lose it, somebody finds it and they know to whom it belongs, you see? Yeah, so you write your name to sort of show that it belongs to you and not someone else. Now, do you know God put his name on you? He did. Can you, can you tell me when and where did God put his name on you? Graham. In baptism, yes, in baptism, God put his name on you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, showing that you belong to him. In our gospel reading for this morning, all three persons are present at the baptism of our Lord. The heavens open up. The Spirit descends on Jesus, who's standing in the water, and the Father speaks from heaven, this is my beloved, my beloved Son, with him I'm well pleased. All three persons are active in the baptism. All three persons were active in your baptism as well. When God put his mark of ownership, his name, on you and on me. We sing the Testament is from Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void or empty, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and light there was. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from Acts 17. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, 
I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed something, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might find their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Amen. 
we confess together the faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed, page 10. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Before we get into the message for this morning, I want you to take a look at your gospel lesson. That is our sermon text. 
and just make a few comments about the text as we read through it one more time. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming, proclaiming a baptism of repentance. That word proclaim, when it's used in the scripture, always refers to something God is doing. It always refers to the work of God. And here in this context, this baptism is God's work, and that's what we teach us Lutheran Christians, especially with regard to uh, Christ's baptism, which is alluded to in the text as well. It is God's work. It's not something, baptism is not something we are doing for the Lord. It's something the Lord is doing for us. He's forgiving sins, bestowing his Holy Spirit, giving us new birth. On and on it goes. According to Scripture, one passage after another relates to us the gifts that God gives in baptism. All Christians believe God gives gifts. We just believe that he gives them in baptism as well as other ways. So, he proclaims God's work, this baptism of repentance. And notice, it's for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is attached to this work of God in baptism. Only God can forgive sins. Baptism is one way he does it. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. In other words, he was looking like Elijah. He's wearing sort of uh, the uniform of this Old Testament prophet Elijah, who it was believed would be the forerunner of the Messiah. He would, he would prepare the way. Elijah would come back and prepare the way of the Lord. And that's what John is doing. And he preached. That is the word proclaim again is actually there in the Greek. And he proclaimed God's work, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now that's something only God can do. Only God himself can bestow his Holy Spirit. He would do that upon select individuals in the Old Testament, and he does that upon all believers in the New Testament. Something only God can do. I point that out because some skeptics and, and Bible critics like to throw out statements like this. Well, Jesus never said he was God. That's true and it's not true. He did claim the divine name in John chapter 8. He said, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. That's God's name. But throw that out if you want. That's, that's okay. We don't, have to, we don't have to deal with that right now. The claim is he never claimed to be God. Well, let me ask you this. Would you believe anyone who went around saying, I'm God? No. You would doubt that. That does not build credibility or believability. Rather, it's what someone does. It's what you see them doing that convinces you of what they are or who they are. And so the way it works in the New Testament is Jesus goes around doing things only God can do. And people come to their own conclusion. 
This guy is God, you see. He bestows the Holy Spirit, among other things, and that's not all. We read on. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And he, when he came up out of the water, that doesn't mean he was immersed. He may have been immersed. The same phrase, coming up out of the water, is used in the book of Acts when Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch. We read, they both came up out of the water, meaning they're standing in the water, and they come up on the bank once again. So whether it's pouring or sprinkling or immersion, the Bible doesn't specify, therefore we can't insist that baptism must be this way or it must be that way. We have freedom in that regard, so we don't insist it has to be this or that mode of application of the water. That's not what's important. The important thing is you have water and God's name, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those two things make a baptism, not how much water you have. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening. The heavens always open up over Jesus. And this recalls the end of Mark's gospel, I believe in Mark 15, when Jesus dies, the temple curtain separating the holy place from the most holy place, the holy of holies, rips from top to bottom. And by the way, that curtain in the Old Testament temple had images of, of stars and the moon and heavenly bodies. It was, a, it was a heavenly tapestry, and it rips from top to bottom down the middle, showing that the barrier between God and man is no more with the death of Jesus for your sins and mine. He saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Here the Father is claiming Jesus as his unique Son. And that is a declaration of his divinity once again. Yes, he never went around saying that I'm God, but he's declared to be the Son of God, and the Son shares the same nature as the Father, a divine nature just as a human child shares the same human nature of its parent. So this is a declaration of divinity. There's other comments we can make, but we need to get to our sermon, so let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, bless your word to our hearts this day and every day, and I pray that every member and friend of this congregation will daily be in the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So question, how many of you got to choose your parents? Anybody get to choose your parents? <laughs> I don't think so. How many of you chose your brothers and sisters? No, that's a, that's a negative. How many of you, you wish you could, right? <laughs> but you can't. How many of you chose the church you grew up in or the neighborhood you grew up in? I don't think any of us could, right? No one. God alone placed each of us into a family. God alone placed each of us into a congregational community 
and into a particular country. And we, we read this in our epistle lesson for today. I chose the epistle lesson, by the way. I kicked out the other one. I forget what it was. But I put this one in. For this reason, Acts 17, verse 26, And he, meaning God, made from one man, that is Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods of time and the boundaries of their dwelling place. In other words, God has determined your length of days, and God has determined your location, I would say your employment, etc., etc. And he's chosen those things for you for this reason, verse 27, that they or we should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he's actually not far from each one of us. In other words, God has placed you where you are and whom you're with so that you might know him. To know your place in life is to accept whatever God has placed you in and with. To know your place is to accept and to be content with whomever God has placed you alongside. Now, Roman number one in your sermon outline. John the Baptist knows his place. Letter A, he's only a voice. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And letter B, notice this, he proclaims not himself, but Christ. And note how John elevates Jesus, not himself, three times. This is in verses 7 and 8. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I. That's number one. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. That's number two. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's number three. Three times he lowers himself in order to elevate Christ in our minds so that we might believe on him and not John, you see. It's not about John. It's about Jesus. Each of us is called by God to be in certain places with certain people at certain times. And there's a Latin word for that. Roman numeral two, the word is vocatio, meaning vocation. And your vocation is more than an invitation. It is an invitation, but it's more than that. It is a summons, as a summons to appear in court. It's a call. It's a divine call. You know, we're going through this divine call process once again here at Grace. This is summoning someone to come and to shepherd the flock. So letter A, each of us has multiple callings. You may be a husband or a wife, a parent or a child, an employer or an employee, an elected official or a citizen. Elected officials are citizens as well, but again, we're talking different offices, different works here. A teacher or a student, on and on it goes. There's all kinds of different hats you and I wear. And letter B, we do not choose our vocations. 
God chooses us for them. God chooses us for them. Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. God did that. He put him there. He didn't talk it over with Adam. Well, where would you like to be? I'm going to put you in the garden. In John 15, Jesus said to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will endure, not fruit that passes away, but to an enduring work. And our epistle reading from Acts 17 reveals how God has determined the boundaries of our lifespan and the boundaries of our dwelling places. And let her see Even the most humble vocations are masks of God, according to Luther. Now, we've talked about this before. All of us are masks of God. The work that we do, the services we provide, it's really God at work. You and I are just the instruments. We're just the mask behind which is God himself. That's that's what gives dignity to even the most humble works and services. God himself is doing it. God stoops to do all these things for us. He's he's out to do everything, and he does. But he works through instruments. Luther would say, God milks the cow. He just does it through the milkmaid. God sows the seed in the ground. He just does it through the farmer. God builds the building. He He does it through the bricklayer. God feeds and clothes the children, but he does it through parents. And this is why we show respect to those in positions of authority, even if they are of a different political persuasion, because they are masks of God. God stands behind them. That doesn't mean God necessarily agrees with everything they do or proclaim. It does mean that when you respect them, when you rise in their presence, when you honor them in some way, shape, or form, and when you speak well of them rather than ill, you're actually respecting God who set them there. And letter D, the purpose of your vocation is to serve others. It's serving others. In our gospel reading, John the Baptist served others by pointing them to Christ. That's his office. That's his work. That's his vocation. In Mark 10, Jesus described his own ministry In this way, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in Galatians 5, St. Paul wrote that we Christians, all of us, are called to serve one another in love. At least we try. When we were young, we dreamt of how things would be when we would come of age. We may have dreamt of a nice home, a good marriage, a successful career and family. And sometimes, by the grace of God, those dreams come true. But sometimes, either through our own disobedience or the disobedience of others, our lives and our marriages, our careers may seem like more of a nightmare than a dream. God calls us 
to be faithful husbands and wives, to stand by our spouse for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. God calls us to be faithful, responsible parents who do not exasperate our children, but who bring them up in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. God calls us to be dutiful, honest employees who always give an honest day's work and who never steal anything from our employer, including time. God calls us to be faithful citizens who pray for and give honor and respect to those who are in positions of authority, even if they are of a different political persuasion. Now, my friends, everything I've described to you can be summed up in one word, just as all the Ten Commandments can be summed up in just one word, and that one word is love. God asks only, only this, that we show love to one another. That's all. That's the fulfillment of all the commands, all of God's expectations, and ours as well. Is that asking too much? God asks of us only that which is best for us and for those we love. My friends, love enables us to thrive in our relationships and to flourish as human beings. And yet, not only do we forget to love, at times we even refuse to love. Not only do others withhold their love from us, we withhold our love from others including those whom we've solemnly promised to love and to cherish until death. That is to say, all too often we forget our place. All too often we ignore or abandon the place God has assigned to us. Whether it's alongside our spouse, our children, or our employer. And that is why Roman numeral 3 is so important. Jesus knows his place. And his place is with sinners. That's why he came. He came to be with you and with me. He came to be with flawed people. In our gospel lesson today, when Jesus presents himself for baptism, it's not because he has any sins which need forgiving. It's because he wishes to identify with us, with sinful human beings. And he does in the waters of the Jordan. Isaiah chapter 53 says that when Christ poured out his life unto death, he was numbered with the transgressors. When Jesus was crucified, he was hung between two rebels. And St. Paul wrote, This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And each one of us should be able to say that. We're the worst because we know better than anyone else our own failures. We know our own failures far better than we know the failures of our neighbor, even though we criticize our neighbor a lot more than ourselves. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. My friends, Jesus knows his place. His place is the cross. The cross is the place God has assigned to him. And because Jesus remained in his place and refused to abandon his place and come down from the cross, you and I are forgiven for all the times we have abandoned our places, the places God has assigned to us. 
All of us have abandoned our stations in life, but Jesus did not abandon his. Therefore, we are his forgiven people. And it is my privilege and joy every Lord's Day to declare to you that forgiveness that comes from him and which can never be taken from you. It is yours. Believe it. Letter A. The Father is pleased with his Son, with Jesus. He's pleased with Jesus. And that's good news for us. Jesus said in John 8, I always do those things pleasing to my Father. That's Jesus. He does what Adam failed to do. He does what you and I have failed to do and continue to fail to do. He is our righteousness. And let her be, the Father is pleased with us. He's pleased with us because we believe in his Son. If you want to win the Father's heart, trust his Son. Be devoted to his Son. I know from my own experience, you might get crossways with me, but if you're nice to my daughter, hey, I care about that. The Father cares about your response to his Son. It means more than anything you could do. Jesus said in John 6, this is what pleases God, to believe in the one whom he has sent. My friends, you cannot please God any more than that. Nothing you could ever do would please the Father more than trusting in the finished work of his Son. And if we can trust him for our forgiveness, if we can trust him to prepare a place for us in the life to come, we can also trust him regarding the places and the people he has assigned us to in this life as well. If we can trust him with our hereafter, we can trust him with our here and now. My friends, so many things in life we do not choose. Instead, God chooses us to be in those places. He chooses us to be with those people and to love those places and to love those people to whom he has assigned you to be content with those things. That is what it means to know your place. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand and sing the offertory, page 
Let us pray for the whole people of God in Christ and for all people according to their needs. Dear Father, you've revealed your Son in the wondrous epiphany in the Jordan River. So also you've revealed your name and blessing to each of us in holy baptism, declaring us your beloved heirs. Grant that we may daily die to sin and daily rise to new life, living with joy as your baptized children. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, bless all places where your people teach and learn. Guide teachers everywhere and students everywhere that together we would marvel at your creation and appreciate the wisdom of the cross. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, grant that all who are baptized into Christ would receive the boldness of your servant John to lead faithful and pure lives in this world, ever mindful of our promised heavenly inheritance. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty Lord, your Son Jesus is the Christ and the true King of this world. Grant great humility to the rulers of the nations that they would submit to the preaching of your holy word for the sake of their own souls and for the good of your holy people. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, come to the aid of all who grieve. We lift up the Morphew family as they mourn the passing of Rick's sister, Susan Phelps. We pray as well for the Darledge family as they mourn the passing of Brian Darledge. Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of faith you've given to Susan and to Brian. Thank you for the legacy of faith that they leave behind as encouragement to all of us. And we pray, grant comfort and strength to those who grieve as we look always to the cross of our Lord and Savior and to the empty tomb we have a bright future, and we give you thanks and praise through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, in your mercy. And Father, we pray for all who seek healing. We lift up Dwight, Mark, and Neva. We pray for Ray and Linda, for Chris, Ken, Candy, and Al, and others whom we name now in our hearts. Gracious God, grant health and healing to these your servants. Watch over all expectant mothers and their children. Bring them to a safe delivery and to the life-giving waters of baptism. Lord, in your mercy. Eternal God, you've made us your own people by baptism. You've granted us your Holy Spirit to confess Christ in word and deed. We remember with thanksgiving those who have gone before us, who passed the faith on to us, and who now rest in Christ from all of their labors. Since we have died with Christ through baptism, grant that we would be raised with him as well on the last day. Lord, in your mercy. Into your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.
We continue with the service of the sacrament, page 13. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks unto the Lord our God. It is truly meet, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you. Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, for at his baptism your voice from heaven revealed him as your beloved Son, and the Holy Spirit descended on him, confirming him to be the Christ. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner also, he took the cup 
after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Welcome to the table of the Lord. Adela, God bless and keep you always in the love of God that is yours in Christ. And I ask the Lord fill you with his Holy Spirit and grant you his peace. Take and eat the true body of Christ for you. Lydia, God go with you and prosper you in all that you do in his name. Graham, the Lord fill you with
Please stand. We conclude this morning's service beginning on page 20. thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Let us pray. We give thanks to you, almighty God, that you have refreshed us through this salutary gift. And we implore you that of your mercy, you would strengthen us through the same, in faith toward you, and in fervent love toward one another, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. Bless we the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.